It was wonderful watching these children this morning. And uh, Brenda and I stepped out to come to church this morning. I looked up the street and I saw a fellow with gray hair up there. And I said, he didn't used to have gray hair like that. But uh, when Brenda and I moved in our neighborhood, we were young folks, and uh, but not we're not now. But I got to watch a lot of young people grow up. And uh, it's my privilege to introduce Danny Thompson to you today in the Good News Jail Ministry Program. Uh, my favorite memory of Danny is when he and Travis and a bunch of the young bucks were playing softball together. And... Uh, I've been there and done that. There's a song out that says, I can't even make a church team anymore. <laughs> but uh, uh, there were a bunch of young guys playing ball, and they were really hot, or they thought they were hot. And they were pretty good ball players. But uh, if you've ever been in a real competitive situation, every once in a while somebody get out of line, and Danny was always the one that was there to say, calm them down. And uh, it's my privilege now to introduce Danny to you. Please come. We got a green light. Hey, there we go. Looking for the green light. Well, it's good to be with you. I uh, I don't know if I ever have preached at uh, Kingsway. I know I've been here for different things over the years, but I think this might be the first time I've ever spoke to y'all. And so I'm uh, glad to, to be here. And you want to bring me down a little bit? I'm gonna feel like I'm really loud. But uh, anyhow, I... Uh, Showed you that video this morning to kind of give you an idea of good news jail and prison ministry. Uh, I was 24 years old and graduating from Bible college and got a call from Eddie Barnes, who was the sheriff at the Bristol uh, Virginia Sheriff's Office. And he said, why don't you come down here and be my chaplain? And I said, uh, you, know, I, you know, I had my list of what I wanted to do. And, you know, I thought God was going to give me a cool ministry or something. You know what I'm saying? Surfing ministry, mountain climbing ministry, hunting ministry. I don't, you know, I was looking for the cool ministry. But, um, you know, it hadn't crossed my radar. I hadn't thought about jail ministry. And so I went down to the jail and sit in on a a Bible study that they had. And, um, and I went to my pastor and I said, well, you know, I don't know what to do. I've got a couple options uh, before me, you know, uh, as to uh, what I should do. And and he said, well, just, you need to go pray about it and seek the Lord and ask him to give you direction. And he had a house over on the Blue Ridge Parkway. And he said, go over there and stay at the house for a couple of days and and just pray and seek the Lord. And so I went over there. Now, I'm I'm thinking I'm going to go over here. I'm going to have a Moses moment. I'm going to come back at the glory of the Lord shining about my face. And, you know, and I decided I wasn't going to eat. And I was going to pray. And I was going to dig in, you know, and grab the horns of the altar, you know. Well, about uh, eight hours into it, I was starved and I was bored. 
And I, God wasn't speaking to me, and I was like, okay, how's this work? And I'm thinking, how do these guys do this for in the Bible, you know? And so I'm praying, and I'm reading, and I'm praying, and I'm just like, I'm frustrated. And finally, that still, small voice of God comes in and kind of says, eat something and calm down. <laughs> I mean, really, it was just like, God was like, you know, just relax. I mean, you know, wait, just spend time with me, you know. It was like, you know, I was wanting God to, to do something and show me and give me this, you know, moment. And God just wanted to spend some father and son time together, you know. And so I just, uh, I relaxed, and I calmed down, and I ate something, and I just got my Bible and just started reading it. Instead of reading it, searching for something, I started reading it. And I read Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 3, Romans 4, and I got to Romans 5, and got down to Romans 5, and they got down to verse 20, and it said this. It said, where the law did enter, that the offense might abound, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now, contextually and theologically, that verse has a lot, of, there's a lot of preaching there, but for me in that moment, sitting in that house, seeking the Lord's will for my life, that was a clear picture to me that I needed to go to the jail and be the chaplain. Because the law had been offended and broken by these men and women. Sin was controlling their life. And God was promising me if I would go, He would save them. So I went. In 1995 and 24, went into the Bristol, Virginia City Jail, became the chaplain at the Bristol, Virginia City Jail. And Good News Jail and Prison Ministry was the ministry that was there already in place by Tom Bradley. Tom Bradley had been the chaplain, and he went to King Pharmaceutical. And so they trained me, and they taught me how to do it. And I became a missionary, but I didn't have to go anywhere. I grew up in Bristol, graduated from Virginia High. I, I was a missionary, but I was right here at home, which sometimes can be a little more difficult, I guess. But, you know, I was here. And so I went to the Bristol, Virginia City Jail, and... God blessed me, and he has blessed me. And then five years into it, I started the Sullivan Sullivan County Jail Ministry under Sheriff Anderson. And then five years after that, I went to the Abingdon Regional Jail and started the Abingdon Regional Jail Ministry. Uh, Kent Pugh is the chaplain at the Bristol, Virginia City Jail and the Sullivan County Jail, and I'm the chaplain at the Abingdon Regional Jail now. I've got 800 inmates. We cover three counties, Washington County, Smith County, and Russell County. We have 1,400 beds. There's plenty of space available at this point. And uh, the sad part about it is we'll probably be full in about five years. And most prisons that I've been to up, you know, over the years are only 1,500-bed facilities. And so we have a jail that's about half the size of a prison now. Uh, once you reach a 1,000 inmates, they call you a mega jail. So we're on our way to becoming a mega jail. But God has called me to this ministry, and uh, I've been doing this for 21 years. God's blessed me with a wonderful wife and three great kids, and uh, my girls were with me this morning, but I told them they'd go help in the nursery or children's church because they've heard me preach this sermon probably a hundred times, so they get a little tired of it. But um, 
I, my wife is working a race. She does mountain bike races, and she's helping over in Damascus with the mountain bike race this morning. And my son is in Paris Island, South Carolina, in Marine Boot Camp, and he's becoming a Marine. And so uh, he needs all your prayer this morning because he's probably got it the worst. But uh, uh, pray for him. And, and like I say, I'm just glad to, to be a part of the service this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. Being a part of Good News Jail and Prison Ministry is a, is a national and international ministry. We have over 400 chaplains worldwide. Now, we don't send anybody to foreign fields. We go and we, uh, train local Christians to become the chaplains in the jails and prisons where they live. And that's what you saw with Rwanda. And the reason I showed that video this morning, because it touched my heart, how God can use... Um, People that have come out of the worst. I mean, we're so blessed in America. I'm going to use this video. I'm going to start showing it in the jail. And I'm going to show it for a couple of reasons. I'm going to show it to make them realize how good they got it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, maybe touch their heart uh, because to see what God can do out of tragedy such as that. But I like being a part of good news. I like being a part of something bigger than myself. And I like to, I like knowing that there's men and women all over the world that are doing what I'm doing. And so it's a great blessing. Now it's up to me to raise my support in this community and uh, fund myself. And I uh, personally support the international ministry because I believe in it. But I'm a home missionary, so I raise my own funds here as well. So be in prayer because uh, Bobby Griffith has helped me put together a prayer breakfast in August in uh, Abingdon at uh, Food City headquarters, and we're going to be doing that. It'll be August 26th, so if you'll keep that in prayer, and we're going to try to get table sponsors and things for that, and that, I think that'll be an awesome opportunity to really reach out to the Abingdon area and help them to understand the bigger picture that's going on in the jail. Uh, in our jail, we've got... Twelve different or pods, you would say. And we have services Sunday night through Thursday night every week. So somebody's preaching or doing a Bible study in the jail Sunday through Thursday. I do Tuesday afternoon and Friday afternoon. I preach to the inmates. Then we also have RU, which is Reformers Unanimous, coming in and doing uh, a program. We have a couple uh, older ladies that come in uh, every other Monday. And so we have a lot going on. We we have, you know, in a, in a week's time, over 20 services that are Christian Bible teaching services are taking place at the Abingdon Regional Jail. And I can challenge you to go within a 200-mile radius of the Abingdon Regional Jail, and you will not find that much uh, preaching and teaching of the Bible in any jail or prison. And so uh, we're really blessed with the door we have and what God has done for us there. And if you'll just keep us in prayer as we continue on in what we do. Uh, in John chapter 4, uh, for sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole passage to you, but I'd like to tell you the story if I could. And uh, it's a very familiar story to, to some, and it's the story of the woman at the well. So the Bible says that Jesus told his disciples, he said, I got to go by Samaria. Now, Jesus didn't have to walk by Samaria, 
but he wanted to take a detour and go by Samaria. And the disciples were a little bit, you know, well, okay, you're Jesus. If you want to go by Samaria, we'll go. But they really didn't want to go, you know, by Samaria. But Jesus wanted to go, so they went. And so they went and they came to the well, which was Jacob's well, which is an amazing place to go if you ever get to go. Uh, And it's a, a real deep well, very cold water. But it's really cool to see. But it, Jacob's well is there. And Jesus says to them, you go into the city and buy meat. And they were like, okay. And he said, I'm going to stay here. So he's like, you know, they didn't understand. Jesus had a reason. He, he, There was a purpose in him going to Samaria. There was a reason for him to be at that well at that time of day. So they went off. And as soon as they went off, here comes a woman. You know, and I can just picture, you know, uh, some of the pictures you see, them big, tall pictures, uh, you know, pottery, uh, them women carrying on their head, you know, walking up to there, carrying that on their head. And here comes her, this woman, you know, carrying this big old pot on top of her head. And she gets up to the well, and Jesus is hanging out there. And she's just like, you know, you want to get some water and go on? And Jesus said, uh, give me a drink. And the woman kind of looked at him, and she was like, why would you ask me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew. Now, the reason that this was peculiar was because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Kind of like Republicans and the Democrats, right? I mean, they hated each other. Couldn't stand the sight of you. Didn't want to do anything for each other. And so she was kind of amazed that he, being a Jew who looks down on the Samaritan, would ask her for a drink. She didn't understand. And she was a little bit smart-aleck about it, you know, if you read the context of the Scripture. I mean, she was kind of, you know, like, what are you asking me for a drink? You're a Jew, you know. And then Jesus begins this conversation with this woman. And he says, if you knew who were asking you for a drink, then you would ask me for a drink. And the water that I would give you, you would never thirst again. First thing I want you to know, people ask me all the time, Danny, why jail ministry? Why don't you pastor a church? Why don't you work with youth? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why jail ministry? I mean, I've had preachers tell me. Does anybody, I mean, does any of them ever really change? I mean, ain't it just jailhouse religion? I had a preacher tell me that one time, and I said, let me ask something. I said, if somebody comes up to the altar, and they, you lead them in the sinner's prayer, and they say they get saved, and, and you baptize them, and, and everybody celebrates it and everything, and I said, and then they leave, and they never come back to church, and next time you see them, they're laid up drunk somewhere. I said, in that church house religion? Sounds similar, I don't know, jailhouse religion, church house religion. Religion won't save you for one thing, so I don't know why we would even worry about religion. I'm trying to build a relationship with people, and I'm trying to help them to build, find a relationship with Jesus Christ. But uh, anyways, why jail ministry? Well, my first point is this, because God loves people. That's it. He loves people. He doesn't love white people and black people and this person and that kind of person. God loves people, all people. 
He is no respecter of persons. So God don't care if you're a Jew or you're a Samaritan or if you're a Gentile. He loves people. God loves who? You know, I I don't get it. I, I've been I've been raised in Bristol and this uh, Southwest Virginia all my life. My best friend in high school was Gerard Brown, and we never looked at each other as black and white. And we made fun of each other, as a matter of fact, about our black and white. But I mean, it was never a thing. I guess you know what I'm saying. I guess maybe it's my generation or whatever. But I found that in the South, we get along a lot better than a lot of folks up north. People just kind of want to live their life, you know. But there's this whole contentious thing about race in America today. And it's only getting worse. I remember when I first came to chaplain, I hadn't been there very long. And I'm, you know, basically they they gave me a week of training. I came back to the jail and uh, handed me a key and said, go at it. So I went back and I started walking through the cells. And I remember first, you know, I walked through the cell. Well, Tom took me around and said, hey, this is Danny. He's your chaplain now. And that was pretty much it. But uh, I remember walking through you know, by myself, and and uh, I walked in, and these guys were sitting there, and I said, hey, how you guys doing? And the dude turned around and looked at me and said, well, I'm in jail. How do you think I'm doing? <laughs> you, know, well, you know, well, I mean, other than being in jail, I didn't. But I remember I was talking to this guy uh, at the bars, and this other kid came up, and, and uh, he was black. And, boy, he had a big chip on his shoulder. And he started out trying to challenge me on the scriptures. And so he, uh, he, he looked at me and he said, well, what does, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? And thank God he didn't ask, you know, like some kind of scripture that I hadn't read in 40 years. I mean, you know, he, he asked me something that I knew, you know, and he was like, what's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? And I said, you mean trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. And he was like, yeah. That's what he's talking about. But then he started telling me about how I, I was, he didn't really say I was, or, you know, he just started talking about how bad he had had it, how bad white people had treated him all his life. And, it, you know, I don't know, you know, but he, he carried on about it, and I said, well, look, I said, uh, this is the first time I've ever met you, and this is the first time you've ever met me. I said, but let's say there's another part of the jail, there's a whole, cell block full of black guys and I go in there and they're mean to me and they cuss me and they call me names and they do all this, you know, make me feel bad. And I come up here and I see you and the first thing I think is that you're just like them. So I judge you based on what I saw in them. I said, would that be right? He said, no. And I said, why are you judging me based on what you've seen in other people? I'm Danny Thompson. Nice to meet you. You know, the thing about it is that's the problem. But God loves people. He don't care what color they are. He don't care where you come from. He loves you because He created you. God loves people. I remember I was there about six months, maybe at the jail, and I was I was in my stride. I was in the zone, man. People getting saved, and it was going great. And uh, and I never really had anybody in isolation, which is a segregation cell by themselves. And this guy was in isolation, and I asked why he was in isolation. And they told me why he was in isolation. They said, well, if we put him back there, he'd get beat up because he was a child molester. So I went through my day, and I got finished my day, and I would pray for things that people asked me to pray for. And 
I was praying, talking to the Lord, and I said, you know, pray for this, pray for that. Thank you for a good day, and I was going to go home. And the Lord said, well, what about the guy in isolation? Well, I don't know how you and the Lord talk, but I mean, I ain't nothing I can hide from the Lord. So I said, well, he can go to hell for all I care. I don't want to go talk to him. That's how I felt. He knew how I felt. And the Lord said, well, you might as well just stay at home, not come back. But I'm, but I'm doing a good job here, Lord. I mean, I'm, people getting saved. If you can't show him love, then you can't really love anybody in here. You say, no, is God talking to you verbally? Well, I, you know, when I don't know how you and God, maybe you've heard God speak to you. That's a different for me, but I just know when God's telling me something, you know, and he was he was very much telling me something. I wasn't hearing an audible voice, but I knew exactly what he was saying in my prayer, and I said, well, I'm sorry, and you got to help me. I don't know how to do this. So I walk around the corner, and I look into this cell, and I see this guy that I went to high school with. And all of a sudden, my mind started flooding this guy in high school was beat up, he was spit on, he was cussed, he was made fun of, he was the stinky kid, he was the smelly kid, he was the dumb kid, he was the kid nobody wanted to talk to and everybody wanted to push at and pick on. Not to excuse any of his behavior, I'm just saying that's who he was. But God kind of reminded me of how I treated him in high school too because I was one of his abusers just like everybody else. God loves people. And I'm glad he loved me in spite of my own faults and failures. But all I could do was try to show that guy God's love. But the Bible says this woman in this conversation, this woman continue because when Jesus said to her, I give you water that you will never thirst again, but be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. She's like, well, give me some of that water so that I don't have to come here and draw from this well. She said, that's the kind of water I'm talking about. But then it, the conversation switched to other things. You see, Jesus took her to a, another place because he got her, you know, she was interested now in what he was saying. But then he started saying, well, The water that I should give you. And the woman said to him, give me a drink. And Jesus said to her, well, go call your husband. She said, well, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You ain't got a husband. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're living with now is not even your husband. Now, here's the thing I've learned about people in, in our society, especially today. I don't know if you've caught on to it or not. Uh, Jesus is not the most popular person anymore, and he's not well-loved well anymore. And one, one of the reasons that if the church is going to be the church and represent the truth of God's Word and represent what the Word of God says, you're not going to be liked by everybody. As much as you want to, it just ain't going to happen. And so when Jesus took her to her sinful nature and the things that she was doing and the way she was living her life, she didn't like it. God loves people who don't love him. He does. 
and you watch them every day. I watch them every day. We watch people trash the our Savior and trash the church and say the most horrible things uh, in some of these modern day debates because we stand on the truth of God's Word. We should do it in love, though. But nonetheless, God loves people who don't love Him. And there's a lot of people that don't love God in the world. A lot of people don't want have anything to do with God, don't believe in God. I had a girl in the jail. She was bitter. She was angry. She was sad. She was, well, let's just put it this way. She was very, she was either ready to fight or she was crying. She didn't really have any other, it was that, you know, I'm mad or I'm sad. And I never could figure out how to, to communicate with her because either she was crying, didn't want to talk, or she was mad, didn't want to talk. And then I got married and realized that's kind of a normal thing with some women. <laughs> Sometimes they get in this place where they're ready to fight or cry one. But she's not here. I can talk about her. Um, but anyhow, this girl, she was always upset. So finally I got her to talk to me. I got her to open up to me a little bit. And she told me her story. See, everybody's got a story. She said, I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't partying. I wasn't doing stuff. She said, I made some mistakes in my life. She said, but I was working every day. And I was a single mom and I was raising my, I was trying to take care of my baby. She said, I went to third shift and I was working third shift and I came home one night. She lived with her father and her baby. Father took care of the baby while she was at work. She said, and I came home one night and my house was burnt to the ground and my father and my baby were dead. She went to, she said, I went down to the Catholic church. I talked to the priest because I was devastated. And he asked me if my baby had been baptized. And I told him no. And she said, my ba- he told me my baby was in hell. She said, what kind of God sends a baby to hell? And I said, well, not the God of the Bible. I said, maybe the God that that priest believes in, but not the, not the God of the Bible. And I took the Bible and I showed her what the Bible says about her baby. And by sharing the truth of God's word, it opened her heart up to God. And she got saved. And she wrote this poem, which was just amazing and powerful. She said, remember me. Prison's no place for an innocent child. No room for the meek, no reason for the mild. The nights are so lonely I toss in my bed. The days are so weary I face them with dread. Grant me one prayer as you did from the cross for that thief who knew his life was a loss. Please come to this prison where I sit alone, surrounded by razor, guard towers, and stone. Broken and pent, forgotten and lost, on the ash heap of regret where my life was tossed. I have no other place left in this earth. Remember me, O Lord, and renew me by birth. Please come to this prison and enter my cell. Save me, forgive me in this man-made hell. And if in this life no home here I see, in your kingdom of forgiveness, Lord, please remember me so the bible says that the conversation progressed and and he talked about world worship and she said well you say we ought to worship in the temple and we worship in the mountains and you know debate over that you know and anytime that you're trying to share christ with somebody and you get into the whole church thing it's going to become a thing stick to the gospel and you'll be better off because you know it's not about the building of the church but anyhow he 
he, he took her and said, you don't understand. You don't understand what you worship. You must worship the Father in spirit and in truth because God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. But he gets down to the end of this conversation with this woman. And she says, when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all things. Now, chronologically, I don't know exactly when this happened, but I know it happened pretty early on. And as far as I can understand, the first person that Jesus Christ revealed himself as Messiah Christ to was this woman living with with a man who wasn't her husband, who had been married five times, who had nothing to offer to God, revealed himself as the Messiah to, because he said, I am he. He said, I'm the the one you've been looking for. I'm the Messiah. I'm Christ. I'm God. Wow. God loves people, and God loves people who don't love him. And lastly, God loves people not for what they can do for him, but what he can do for them. What did this woman have have to give to God? The reason she came to the well at the time of day she came to the well was because she was ashamed and the other women in the community didn't want to have anything to do with her because she'd had five husbands and the man she was living now wasn't her husband. God doesn't save us because there's something that we can do. He saves us for what He can do in our life. I had nothing to bring to God. I had nothing to offer to God. I mean, I have, well, what, what can I really do for God? We, we've got this attitude, we think God needs us. No, we need Him. We need Him. But when God saves our soul, He saves us to help us, to bless us, because He loves us. He doesn't love us for what we can do for Him, but what he can do for us. And I'm always amazed that this lady went back to Samaria and a revival broke out. Because even though she was the outcast, even though she was not the sports hero or the politician or or the, the millionaire or whatever, she was the lowest of the low, the lowest in the community. That's who God used. Because when she spoke, she spoke with conviction. She was believable. And people had to come see this man that told her all. Why jail ministry? Because God loves people. God loves people who don't love him. And God loves people not for what they can do for him, but what he can do for them. People say all the time, well... You know, I'm glad you're up there and I'm glad you're doing it, but you know, does it really make a difference? Well, what you, I think what a lot of us don't realize is about 85% of the people that are in jail and prison in the United States of America are mothers and fathers. There's children that belong to them. Now, grandmas and grandpas are the ones raising the kids. But there's mothers and fathers. And if we can impact a life and we can help them turn their life around and find hope and change into their life that is lasting and meaningful, then they can go back home and be mamas and daddies. And if we send mamas and daddies home, then the next generation ain't going to come to jail. 
I've been doing this 21 years. I've seen mama and daddy, son and daughter. I've seen grandpa and grandma. I've seen the whole generation. I've seen grandpa, a grandpa, a son, grandson, all, you know, all the way down. I mean, it's, it's sad. And we can break the cycle of crime by the gospel of Christ. About our, our motto years ago for good news is breaking the cycle of crime one life at a time. Bible only tells us to lead one to Christ. If we lead that one to Christ and we help them to have a vibrant relationship with Christ, then they're going to make an impact on their family. And that's the whole point. Let me finish with this. It's a, it's a poem written by Shannon Carroll, a girl that was in my jail back in 2008. She was a mama. She was a drug addict. She came to jail. She got saved. She hadn't been back since. But she wrote this poem, and I think it captures the heart of why jail ministry. It's called A Prayer for Mommy. My dear sweet Jesus, I kneel down to pray. The police have come to take Mama away. I know you cry for her as I do tonight, and you promised you would bless if she would just do right. She has enjoyed sin after sin. She has failed her test again and again. So, Lord, would you touch her and open her heart because she's tearing our family apart. Forgive her, sweet Jesus. She knows not what she does. But you and I know that without you, she's through. All of her sins took over her life. They cut at her heart and her soul like a knife. I watched her crying and asking, why me? Open her eyes, Lord, that you she may see. Show her, sweet Jesus, that she is God's child and let her stop being by the world defiled. Teach her your ways so pure and so true and let her rely on her Bible and you. Save her soul, for this is my plea. And when mommy's all better, bring her back home to me. That's why we do jail ministry. I finished with the one last story. There was a, I got a letter from a girl back a few years ago, and it was around uh, November. And she wrote the letter and told me that she'd gotten saved in the jail and that she was out and that she was going to church and she was trying to do the right thing and she had her three kids back and she was so excited. And then she started telling me about all the problems of trying to you know, find, get a job and pay the bills and take care of the kids. And, and I've, you know, kind of, I've read the, a lot of these letters. I thought she was basically going to ask for money, which was fine. You know, if we could help her, we'd try to help. But she didn't. She's, you know, she told me about the problems, but she didn't ask for money. She said, I, I'm not asking but for one thing. She said, Danny, could you please give my three kids a Bible so that we can study the Bible together? Because all I got is my the Bible you gave me in jail. Oh, I ran to the to Mike Osborne's bookstore, and I I got three children's Bibles, and I got them in the mail. Amen. But that's what a mommy will do. That's been changed. She'll go home and read her Bible with her kids. I left some brochures. It's just got some information about uh, good news back there. If you want one. And uh, I just ask you to pray for us.
But you know, as you come this morning, I don't know where everybody stands with God. I don't know where you're at. But I can tell you this, Jesus Christ, who is our creator, God, left his throne above and came to earth below. He died on the cross. And three days later, he rose from the grave because of the sin of man. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, we can all be saved and we can go to heaven. We can have a relationship with God because once we accept God's gift of redemption through Jesus Christ, then we have God's spirit that awakens us and dwells with us. And if you're here this morning and you've never truly done that, that's what you need. You need a relationship with the Savior. You need to know Jesus. And he offers himself to you this morning free. So as we stand to our feet with our head bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to ask yourself, I want you to ask God, am I saved? Do I know you, Lord? Do you know me? Because I promise you if you'll ask, he will reply. And if you're here this morning and you don't know my Jesus, I'll, I'll invite you to come and I'll be glad to share what the Word of God says and how you can know. Because God does love you. Heavenly Father, I pray you'll bless now and touch any heart that needs to come forward. Maybe somebody has a loved one to pray for, a burden to bear. The altar's open. In Jesus' name.